This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome to the MVFC First and Goal podcast. I'm Kelly Burke, and my guest, Lane Grindle, today will be making his Valley football play-by-play debut this weekend. Grindle is better known as one of the Milwaukee Brewers radio broadcasters. He previously spent 10 years at the Husker Sports Network in Nebraska and is a South Dakota alum. Lane, welcome to the show. How are you? Kelly, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you and. uh, uh, it's I, I'm excited to be a part of the Valley football broadcast this weekend because uh, the Valley kind of runs in my blood. I, I, I'm a USD alum, and I grew up as a huge sports fan in southwest Iowa. So, I mean, I can go back to the days of Kenny Shedd playing wide receiver for you and I. So I'm excited to, to be able to be around the conference this weekend. Yeah, we're definitely uh, excited to have you. You just wrapped up your third season with the Brewers. Now that you've had a chance to digest the postseason run to the NLCS Game 7 for a week or so, what were the biggest takeaways from this season? Well, I, I think for me, what, what I enjoy about being around team sports and, and being able to call sports uh, on the team's behalf, and, and that's something I've done a lot of my career with whether it was at Nebraska or at the University of South Dakota before that and of course now with the Brewers is you get a chance to be around a group of guys consistently for a, a pretty good stretch of time and you see them in a lot of hard work uh, you see the culture that they have created within themselves and within their clubhouse or locker room if you will and, and for me this year was especially rewarding to be around this Brewers team because they had a great culture these guys worked incredibly hard they enjoyed coming to the ballpark every day and I think for me, and I've said this a lot, and I think some people would, would, would hear this response and think that it sounds company line or whatever, but uh, it really was true for me. I was really pleased and satisfied to see those guys benefit from everything they had done to put themselves in that position, from whether it was the work or the ability to, to always stay connected and be on the same page and communicate with one another. It was one of the best teams I've ever been around in terms of that. And they also had happened to be really talented as well, a bunch of all-stars on this team. And uh, everybody accepted their roles. It was just neat to see. Uh, and, and so for me, being around team sports for as long as I have, whenever you get a group like that, you realize it's pretty unique and that's pretty special. And that's what I enjoyed the most about it. I love the postseason run. They had a great look to them all postseason where they just believed they were going to win. Came up a little bit short of the World Series, but this is kind of the front part of the window for the Brewers. So I, I think they're going to be in position to at least contend for the postseason again over the next four or five years quite a bit. The tough part of it is, is there's no guarantees in sports. And when you get that close and you don't finish the job, you just hope that's not your only opportunity. You hope that uh, it's going to present itself again. But to win a World Series, to get to a World Series, you got to have a lot of luck. You got to have your guys stay healthy and that's not always a given. So just to assume that it's going to happen again for the Brewers would be a little bit foolhardy, in my opinion. They're going to have to get back after it again this spring, and hopefully they'll be able to be in position again. How has your role in the booth and with the team evolved since you joined the club in 2016? It's it's evolved uh, a lot and then not so much at the same time. Uh, I, I would say it's evolved in that 
when I first came in to the Brewers organization, I mean, primarily my job was to replace Bob Euchre when he didn't travel on the road. And those are big shoes to fill. It's a little bit intimidating, to be honest with you. And I had done no Major League Baseball before I came to the Brewers. I had been a college play-by-play guy slash sideline reporter for football. And so it was a it was a change. It was different for me. And it took me a good year to really get my feet underneath of me and to feel comfortable and to feel like I had developed a, a good, good rapport with uh, Jeff Levering, who I do, I do most of my games with uh, on the Brewers Radio Network, and, and, and a good rapport with Bob. And, and it took me most of that first year to really get myself comfortable where I felt like, okay, this is my booth too. I, I'm a part of this thing. And then once I did that, uh, it all just totally started rolling down hill in a very positive direction everything became like throwing on a pair of shoes uh it became very comfortable and so uh that was the big change for me uh not so much my role my role hasn't changed a lot in the three years i've been here that i do about 70 uh anywhere from 60 to 80 games a year regular season and i do about 15 to 20 games during spring training as well where i'm i'm doing play by play um, and I contribute in other ways during the postseason run. Bob was doing the call for most of those games. So I was doing a lot of the room celebration and getting champagne uh, <laughs> dumped on my head and things of that nature, which was fun, too. I, it was a cool experience for me. So um, it, my, my role has, I would say, in the sense that I've gotten much more comfortable in it. And uh, it, it feels like home to me now uh, after that first year where you're kind of feeling everything, you know, everything's that new car smell to it, so to speak. So. That's probably been the biggest change for me over the three years. You mentioned Bob Uecker, and you know he's one of the most iconic baseball broadcasters there is, and the intimidation factor of that. But how surreal is it to to have him at your disposal and to be working side by side with him in many regards? I'll tell you, it, it's it's really amazing, and I think uh, to to listen to him call a game, there are very few people. There, in fact, there's nobody that's ever called a game like Bob does. It's it's a very unique call. He does it his way, and it's so entertaining and so good. And he does such a tremendous job of putting you right there in the ballpark with him. It, it it's it's an incredible talent that he has for calling a baseball game, and he has an incredible love for baseball too. I think sometimes people see Bob Euchre, the guy that was on the Tonight Show, or the guy that's on the movie Major League, or the guy that was uh, on Mr. Belvedere. And they think, hey, this is this really funny guy that happens to call baseball. And, and I would say it's the opposite. This is a tremendous play-by-play man that loves the game of baseball that happens to be really funny, too. And I think that that's how he would want to be remembered as well um, from, a, from a baseball play-by-play standpoint. Uh, baseball first with him. It always has been. I think it always will be. But I, I think for me, the biggest moments where I realized, wow, this is really unique. There's nobody else like Bob, and I get a chance to be with him every day is probably when we're eating dinner before games. Uh, when we have night games, we all sit down, we have dinner together. And when Bob launches into story time, and he's telling st- stories about Mickey Mantle, and I'm not talking about stories that he heard from somebody. These are firsthand accounts where he was there, uh, or Hank Aaron, or any of those types of legendary, iconic people in the game of baseball. It's just it's it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around the fact that the guy sitting right next to you <laughs> was there for those stories. He experienced those things, and now you're hearing a firsthand account of it. It's it's it sometimes feels like it's tall tale stuff. Uh, to be honest with you, it's it, it feels like you're hearing him talk about 
uh, you know, Paul Bunyan or something, because it's, it's, those guys to me are so untouchable. They were, they were so almost fictional to me. So he brings them to life and it's just, it's a really amazing thing. I had read that on your interview for, for the Spurs job that he was the guy that you went to, went to, I think lunch with or, or breakfast with, um, as your final kind of interview phase. And so how nerve wracking was that? (laughs) It was a little nerve wracking. Um, just because he's Bob Uecker and he's bigger than life. He's on the Mount Rushmore of, of broadcasters. And so for me, it was really wild because it all, it all happened fast. Uh, when the job first came open, it was late January and it really wasn't even open yet. It was kind of a preliminary, we think we're going to have an opening. And so we're going to get everybody's resumes now and put in all the work we need to put in to make sure that we're ready to go in case Joe Block, who's now with the Pittsburgh Pirates, does indeed get the Pittsburgh job. And so I applied, not even knowing if the Brewers were going to have this job available. And then Joe Block got the job, and things happened really, really fast after that. I got a phone call. It was on National Signing Day. I was doing a TV show for uh, Nebraska football, actually, on Signing Day that day. And I got a a text, or actually it was an email, uh, asking me to set up a phone interview with the Brewers uh, for the next week. So I did that. I uh, got through that round. Then they decided they wanted to fly me into Milwaukee for an interview. And so flew into Milwaukee and interviewed and uh, thought that went pretty well. Wasn't sure. And about four days later, they called me and said, well, uh, you're in a very good position. But before anything can be official, we have to fly you down uh, to meet with Bob. Well, at that point, uh, Nebraska baseball season was getting ready to start. And I had to leave like the next day for the opening series of Nebraska baseball. They were uh, uh, out in South Carolina uh, playing, uh, I think they opened with College of Charleston, if I remember correctly, uh, in, in Charleston, South Carolina that w- that weekend. And so we had to go out there and uh, be ready to, to, to call those games. So I said, okay, I can fly down and meet with Bob, but I got to do it Monday because I, I can't back out of this series yet uh, this, this late in the game. So I flew from South Carolina to, to Phoenix pretty much and had breakfast with him uh, the next week. And then when we stood up from the table after about two hours of sitting there drinking coffee and, and, and getting my first round of Bob Euchre stories in, uh, he shook my hand and basically said, welcome to the team. It's going to be great working with you. And it was really a whirlwind. All, all of that happened over about a three-week period. And so it was hard to even process what had just happened. Three days later, I flew my family up to Milwaukee to let my wife see the city because she'd never really been here before. <laughs> And we started looking for homes. So yeah. it, it was a it was a wild, crazy experience. But sitting down with Bob was certainly the highlight of it. Um, he he walked in and sat down, and and I knew within about thirty seconds this is going to work out just fine because he made me feel very comfortable. Uh, um, certainly was was a guy that made me understand right away that you're in my tree, um, you're part of my family when you come work with the Brewers, and I'm going to take care of you. And that's what he's done on every step of the way since. That's awesome. What's the biggest thing that you've learned from him so far? That's a really good question. I I think from Bob, the biggest lesson that I've learned is that it it always needs to be baseball first. And and I'm talking about it in terms of baseball broadcasting. Um, It's easy when you're doing 162 games and, and sometimes games get lopsided and, and, and it's easy to get off topic and start talking about other things. And that's okay once in a while. It's certainly not uh, I mean, we all do those 
types of things. There's there, there's there's moments and games in which you're you're saying, you know what, we need to talk about anything but the game because this game's not very entertaining right now because it's ten to two in the eighth or whatever it might be. Um, so there are those moments, but I, I, everything still needs to be looked at through the glasses of baseball first because uh, you're doing a baseball broadcast. And so I, I've, I've certainly learned that from Bob. Uh, I've learned even more respect than I already did have for the game of baseball um, through Bob because of how much he really respects the game and, and loves the game. But I, I think more than anything, I've also learned to be yourself. And he's the master of that. He never has been anybody but Bob Euchre. And he's done it his way. I mean, Hawk Harrelson just had a book that said, uh, I did it my way. And I think anybody that has followed Hawk Harrelson's career would agree. Yeah. Hawk did it his own way. <laughs> sure but that's did. also what made Hawk great. You know, sure. that's what made Hawk who he is. And, and Bob, uh, in, in a similar way, Bob's always been Bob. He's never, he's never faked anything. You always get the real thing with him. And, and I think I've learned that, too. And I think that's a really powerful lesson, not just as a broadcaster, but just in life. And uh, I, I think that's going to be something that's always going to stick with me for a long time. As, as we both mentioned, you spent 10 years at the Uni- University of Nebraska with the Husker Sports Network. So what went into the decision to transition from college sports to Major League Baseball? And, and how did you know the timing was right? Well, I, I wasn't sure if the timing was right, to be honest with you. I just knew that this opportunity probably wouldn't come around again if I didn't take it when it came and presented itself to me. Uh, we had been at Nebraska for about five years when uh, the Colorado State job had come open. And it was the play-by-play job. And, and at that point in time, I was the sideline reporter for Nebraska football. I was doing play-by-play for Nebraska baseball. And that felt like a good natural move for me to move into the play-by-play chair somewhere. So I applied and uh, got a little ways into the process. And then uh, a great guy who does uh, play-by-play for the Colorado Rockies now, and I've gotten to know really well, Jerry Schemmel, kind of threw his name into the ring at the last second. And and, and naturally, and as they should have, Colorado State hired him at at that point to be their play-by-play guy. So that, that didn't work out, and, and we were okay. It was fine, moved on from it. And I really didn't look at any other jobs um, from a college play-by-play standpoint the rest of my time at Nebraska. There were a couple of different opportunities that presented themselves to me, but I didn't think that it was the right fit for my family at the time. So we decided, okay, we're going to stay here. We had both grown up pretty close. My wife's from Sioux City, Iowa. I was from Hastings, Iowa. I grew up a Husker fan. Uh, because I was just across the Missouri River from Omaha, essentially. Uh, so uh, Lincoln was kind of home to us in a lot of ways. It was always my goal to be in Lincoln. And so we said, okay, look, this is fine. We have a good situation here. We're going to settle. And we build a house in Lincoln. We build our, our forever home in Lincoln, thinking, okay, we're going to be here forever. Uh, the play-by-play guy at Nebraska is a great friend of mine, Greg Sharp. He's tremendous. And uh, kind of felt like, hey, you know, Eventually, when Greg retires, maybe then that will be our opportunity at Nebraska. And two years into living in our new home, uh, this job presented itself to me. And it just, I don't know how to explain it. It just felt right. It felt like an opportunity that I was never going to get again. And I knew I would regret it if we didn't try it. And it was a little scary to, to leave what was home for us and the place we envisioned raising our kids 
we have four kids and the community that we really gotten ingrained in and really really loved the Lincoln community. I mean, we didn't leave Lincoln because we were unhappy. We were extremely happy with the way the university treated us, with the way uh, the city was in terms of raising a family. But this was just, it was Major League Baseball. And there's probably a little voice in the back of my head, to be honest with you, too, that both of my grandpas were huge, huge Major League Baseball fans. That's the first real sports uh, conversation I ever had in my life, where my grandpa sitting me down and talking to me about Major League Baseball. And some of the best memories I had as a kid was running. I grew up on a farm, and my dad farmed with my grandpa, and they lived about a mile from us. And there was a field that separated um, my my dad's father, his his home, and my grandma and grandpa's home, and mine. And so I didn't have a license. I couldn't drive yet. I was a kid. And I would get home from school, and they had a they had one of those old satellites, you know, the ones that rotated around, not not like we have now with DirecTV and such. And so that's how I would watch baseball games. I'd have to go over to Grandpa's house, and I would run through the field, and then knock on the door. They'd let me in, and they would pop popcorn the old way on the stove, and we would drink RC cola, <laughs> and we would listen to the Kansas City Royals on the radio, and then watch whatever baseball game we could find on the satellite and and so i just knew how much they would have wanted me to do this too um that wasn't a huge driving force in all of it the biggest decision was is this the right thing for my family and i but that was in the back of my mind a little bit through the process too just like i I know if i turned down an opportunity to to go work in major league baseball those two guys would would be a little disappointed in me they'd want me to see this thing through and see where 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 it led Nebraska fans are, are religious about their sports, whether it's football, even volleyball yeah. there is huge. I'm always so impressed oh, yeah. how popular volleyball is and how they sell out those games, baseball. How did that standard make you a better broadcaster? I think that's what prepared me for what I do now. I, I got that question a lot when I was interviewing for the job with the Brewers because people would say, well, the college game – is different than the professional game and how are you going to handle you know big league ballparks and everything else and I, I was never worried about that because the criticism or the scrutiny that you face when you're doing Nebraska athletics on the radio is probably you know just shy of what Joe Buck deals with when he's doing games on Fox <laughs> it's probably like second to that I, I'm, I'm being I'm joking a little bit but I, look Nebraska fans they they care uh uh, more than anything, more than any fan base I've ever been around in terms of uh, how locked into every little detail they are. And, and, and I, I did a post-game call-in show for my first couple of years in Nebraska after football games. And when they would win by 28, 80% of the calls would be calling in and asking why they didn't win by 35. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, they have a high standard that they, that they expect from their team. And that's football, but you're right. Volleyball, they sell out every match. Volleyball, they draw very well for baseball. They do extremely well selling out almost every basketball game right now, too, under Tim Miles, and they draw extremely well for their women's basketball. Nebraska fans love their team. They support their team through thick and thin. They really are not Fairweather fans. Uh, they're an impressive fan base. And and you and once once Twitter came around, you started hearing about every mistake you made. If you said somebody's name wrong or you did something wrong, you heard about it. And so it really it, it, it forced you to be a better broadcaster in a lot of ways. I think some guys 
would take criticism or whatever it might be and they'd crawl into a shell and maybe not like it. But I, I, I took it as a challenge that, hey, okay, these are people that care. This is what this is about. You want passionate fans listening to what you're doing. And this is a chance to step up my game. And, and that's how I approached it. And I think a lot of other people that have broadcasted uh, not just Nebraska games, but other passionate fan bases across the country, um, they probably have done the same thing. It's a great way to, to improve and, and get better at the skill that you love, which is calling games. It's funny that you bring up Joe Buck because I, I have to laugh when people criticize him because – and yeah. especially, especially these last couple of weeks, um, The Athletic today just had a great article about his schedule because he literally every day, whether it was going from Thursday night football to a World Series game or whatever, he was going literally different, different city, different state, different sport almost every day of the week for about the last three weeks. It's hard enough to do a couple games in one week, and he's doing basically a, a game a day, and people have no concept I that's that 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 for me is where I, I I defend Joe Buck to anybody and everybody because I think he's tremendous number one, and he's got to be to 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 do this the the events that he does. Look, you don't you don't get rise to that point in your career unless you're really good, and he I think he's tremendous. But uh, I don't think people understand that you don't just show up, turn a mic on, and call a game. And and if you did. You're not going to be very good at it. Uh, he puts in an incredible amount of work to get himself ready for all of these broadcasts. He doesn't call a ton of Major League Baseball during the regular season. So just even for me, just to see him show up and do the NLCS and then do the World Series and do it as well as he does, is, that's incredible to me uh, uh, unto itself. But you know, I, I got a real good up-close look at that this year when he was doing the NLCS with John, John Smoltz. That's and right. we would have a day off. You know, I think we had uh, we, we, we played a Friday, Saturday, then we had a Sunday off, and then there was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Los Angeles. And he was calling an NFL game on Sunday. I think he called an NFL game on Thursday. So the two days off in that series, he called NFL games. Yeah. And then he would still show up. And, and, and I, I'm tired from all of our travel. And he had all this other stuff going on on the off day when we're all trying to get our feet back underneath of us. He, he, he's a machine. And I, I think he's he's tremendous, and yeah, that's why I kind of throw his name in there. I mean, um, he you know he's doing a good job because he doesn't seem to please either fan base. That usually means that you're probably being pretty down the middle and calling it like it is. Yeah, and not to mention he has uh, two twin boys that I think are I think they're under yeah. six months old right now. So I mean that's a that's a that's in and of itself a challenge. Just you know having twin babies. So <laughs> no no doubt about it. <laughs> I can't imagine. Kevin Kugler, who just worked his first NFL on Fox game yesterday, is a former colleague of yours uh, who's become a really close friend and a mentor to you. How has he shaped your career? More than anybody that I that I know, um, he, he's my best friend, and, and uh, he, he's I'm, I'm so tremendously proud of him first and foremost, and what he's been able to go on and do in his career. I met him in the summer of 2002. I interned for him when he was hosting a, a talk show in Omaha, Nebraska, on 1620 The Zone, he was doing Nebraska-Omaha football, which is no more. That program doesn't exist anymore. So he was doing Division II football and Division II basketball. And we, we hit it off. We, we got along really well. I came back the next couple of summers and helped out at the radio station while I was still in college. 
and we became very, very close, and our friendship has evolved over the years to where I talk to him pretty much every day on the phone. It's kind of crazy. My, my wife sometimes, I think, feels like she shares me with Kevin <laughs> um, because of the amount of time that we, we spend on the phone, and I think his wife, Michelle, would say the same thing, but our families have gotten really, really close, and he's just a tremendous man. Um, he's a great father. He's a great husband. Um, he's a great friend. And that, that all comes first and foremost. But then he's been a really good influence on me. I, I, I think if you listen to my call, you probably hear a lot of Kevin. I hear uh, people tell me all the time that they hear a lot of Kevin in my call. Brian Anderson, who does TV for us with the Brewers, that was one of the first things he said to me. I get Matt Vaskersian a lot, uh, which is totally on accident. I think I just happen to sound a little bit like Matt Vaskersian. But Kevin is probably not by accident. I've listened to him so much over the course of my lifetime, and I've tried to model a lot of what I do after how he does it because he's been the example for me. And so there's probably some similarities. Uh, I'm certainly not as as accomplished as he is, and 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 I hope to that someday I will be. But um, he he's taught me so much about preparation, uh, how to get get yourself ready for a broadcast, how to work with a color analyst, how to work with a color analyst maybe you don't know as well uh, to make sure everybody's comfortable. Uh, how to keep a balanced broadcast, work with your producer and your director, all those t- different things, uh, especially over the last couple of years where I've started doing a little bit more television. He's been a huge resource for me that I can lean on in that regard because he's doing so much television now. But he's been great for me. He's helped me really in every job that I've gotten. He's had a hand in it in some way. Uh, when I got the job in Nebraska, he sent my tape off to uh, Jim Rose at the time, who was the play-by-play guy at Nebraska, and said, you guys should give this guy a listen. Um, then when I got the job with the Brewers, uh, Kevin reached out to Jeff Lovering and said, hey, you know, we're both on, on the Big Ten Network. We, we're colleagues. Uh, I, I'm telling you, this is a guy you guys should give some consideration to. So he had a hand in helping me there. He was the first person to call me to tell me that this Brewers job was open. He had seen it, and he thought it was perfect for me. So he's been an incredible influence on my life. He's going to be my best friend probably the rest of my life, and and I'm really lucky to have him part of it. It's fantastic. My conversation with Lane Grindle continues in just a second, but if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out all the Lineup Media Group offerings, sports and non-sports podcasts. Now back to the show. Lane, what do you feel like makes a great play-by-play broadcaster? Well, I, for me, I, I get this question a lot, and, and my answer is probably boring, but I, I, I put it in two I, – I, I have two main points, and that might seem simple, but I think if you keep it simple, then it, it, it can be effective. Number one, I want to be clear, coherent. I want people to know what's going on, and that's even more important when you're on radio. Obviously, on television, you have pictures that can uh, accompany your words, so in – in some ways with television, it changes a little bit where you want to tell a good story. You want to make sure that you're hitting on the key storylines and the, and the key um, moments of the game and, and some of the background behind those things. Um, but from a radio standpoint, I want to make sure everybody knows where the ball is, what the score is, everything that they need to know, the, the fundamentals of the game, so to speak. And then the second part is, and this kind of, again, from a television standpoint, weaves into number one is I, I want to make sure that we're entertaining. I, I I, I want to be entertaining. I, I want people to be excited when there's big plays that happen. I want my voice to reflect that. I want to. I want to paint that picture. I want to narrate that moment for everybody. 
but I also want to make sure that if something significant is happening, the audience understands why it's significant. And I think sometimes those things can get lost in broadcast. It's not always as easy as it sounds, but those are some of my main goals when I go into a broadcast. You alluded to the preparation and the the process that's involved with that. So let's let's examine for exa- this week. Um, we're getting ready for Western mm-hmm. Illinois at Southern Illinois in Valley football. So what what will your preparation look like all through this week leading up to the game? So it's it, it really already started um, for me. I started putting my my charts together last week um, based off last week's two deeps for both teams, and I have most of that pretty much compiled now i'll get the game notes here uh later today and tomorrow and then i'll start using and pulling things from that that i can can add to my charts uh on and so then those will get filled in the rest of the way over the next 24 to 48 hours then i'll take those off and i'll get them printed and uh, have those pretty much ready to go um so that that part's kind of straightforward to be honest with you that's i think probably what most play-by-play guys go through i might have had a little head jump uh, head start uh, on the on the charts this week because i didn't have a game last week where other guys are getting done with their game on saturday and maybe taking sunday to 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 decompress and then they they dive in on monday but um that's the first part of it and then the second part of it is uh i just try to find any type of nuggets and interesting tidbits that i can whether it's reading newspaper articles listening to your podcast has been helpful already this week, Kelly, listening to uh, some of your your podcast with Jared Elliott from back in, in, in spring ball. I've already listened to that today and found, you know, a lot of interesting things that help you kind of get some background on all of it. And uh, so that'll be kind of something that I'll do over the next couple of days. But also I'll, I'll watch film over the next uh, two or three days as well. Uh, plenty of it, in fact, to get familiar with the personnel and to get my my mind and eyes kind of in a routine with both teams where when I see a number, I don't need to look down at my chart, hopefully. When I see the number, I know who that is, and, and, and that way everything just becomes a little bit more smooth. So almost like getting some practice reps in, to be honest with you. Um, and by Thursday afternoon, I think I'll feel pretty confident that we're ready to roll. We'll have our production call, of course, on Thursday, and that'll fill in the final blanks for me. But uh, I think by that point, I'll be ready for game time. Yeah. You have several Valley football ties, uh, Joe Gantz uh, at Youngstown State, and then then obviously Jeff Colhane, who's the voice of NDSU, and you guys go way back. I, I believe you worked together yeah. in Yankton, South Dakota, and then obviously again uh, at the Husker Sports Network. But how do two guys who are, were working essentially in small town South Dakota rise to the level that you are both at now? I think we pushed each other in a lot of ways. Jeff's uncle, Kevin Colhane, hired me while I was still in college. And I was working part-time at the radio station for him. And then he just kept giving me more and more responsibilities. And pretty soon I launched my own talk show. And Jeff was graduating college. I had already graduated. And Kevin had given me a full-time job. And he said, "What? how would you feel about hiring my nephew and bringing him on as your co-host? And he can work some of the games with you. And I said, that's great. I'd love to have enough." other young, energetic, uh, career-driven guy alongside me. I think that would be really fun. And we connected right away. We knew each other a little bit, but we connected right away. And we had a great time. We only hosted our show together for four months because I got the Nebraska job shortly after Jeff started full-time. So we really only worked one fall together. But we became really close friends really, really quick. 
And we've stayed in touch ever since. And then, of course, I had the opportunity to bring him down to Nebraska about uh, maybe a year and a half after I left for Nebraska. We had a need. We needed somebody that we could really trust and that knew what they were doing. And I knew Jeff was the guy. And so we brought him on board. And, and so then, of course, we got even closer. And, and, and now he's one of my, my great friends to this day. Again, I've talked to him twice today already uh, <laughs> on different topics. One, one was we were talking some valley football but uh then we were checking in on each other on some personal stuff he he came up and visited this summer and went to a brewers game and and hung out so um he's a great friend but i think we pushed each other i really do i think we made each other better all along the way we continue to do that we listen to each other's broadcasts and we critique each other we tell each other when we think the other one's you know maybe not uh calling a particular part of their game the way they should or hey have you thought about doing it this way and, and we trust each other, so we know the other one has the other one's best intentions. Um, so it, it works, and he's made me a better broadcaster. Joe Gans is a guy that I know from our days at Nebraska, and uh, he came up and visited me in Pittsburgh uh, last summer when we were playing the Pirates. Uh, he's on the Youngstown State staff now with Bo, and of course I, I go back a long ways with Bo as well, and 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 actually have a great relationship with Bo. He's been very very good to me over the course of my career. Um, so I do, I have a lot of connections throughout the Valley. Like I said, I grew up as a kid. I, I read the newspaper every day. The sports section was our way of getting our news, right? I didn't have cable back then and I didn't have the internet when I was a little kid. So I read the sports section. I, I read about the Northern Iowa game every single Sunday morning to see, you know, what Terry Allen's team had done the day before or whatever it might've been. And, and, uh, of course, South Dakota state was, was our big rival when we were at USD and, and and John Stigelmeyer is a guy that I got to know during my time uh, doing talk radio in Yankton, South Dakota. And I don't know if there's anybody in college football that I have more respect for than John Stigelmeyer. So I, I do. I have a, a lot of connections to the league. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be able to call a game this weekend for the Valley. Yeah, Coach Stig is definitely one of the nicest guys out there. And I'm glad you brought up a bow, too, because... I think he gets this reputation sometimes of of being really intense, which he can be, but he's a super nice guy. I, I've had the same experience with him. I've found him, you know, yeah. he's really easy to talk to before games, and obviously he gets in that game mindset, you know, so it's a little different different, different when you're talking to him at halftime, but um, I've, I've found him to be very, very, very nice. Bo's great. He, he, he was a guy that I got along with really, really well during my time at Nebraska. And I, and I always got a lot of questions about it because from the outside, the perception is that's got to be a tough relationship. And it really wasn't. No, yeah. It was one of the best coach, coach broadcaster relationships I've ever had. We could be very honest with each other, um, but I think he knew where my loyalties were and I knew that he had my back at the same time. And so it just worked really well. And, and everybody else on our broadcast team would have said the same thing about Bo. Uh, I, I have a great Bo Pelini story that's actually quite funny. You know how he, he's intense. And so sometimes the halftime interviews are a little bit short. Oh, yeah. And I he had, might not I'd, go into a ton of detail. I had one of those this year, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that happens, right? So uh, my first year with Bo, his first year in 2008, uh, the, the halftime interviews, even if it was going well, were kind of short and there wasn't a, a ton of meat in them. And so we... we, we had a conversation like, yeah, if you could just give us a little more, it doesn't have to be a lot, but, um, you know, we're trying to kind of give you some, some fairly easy questions that we're teeing up for. If you could just give us a little more, that would be great. And he said, okay, yeah, I know I'll, 
I will do my best. And so the very next game after that, that was Oklahoma, and that was the Sam Bradford team that scored 100 points on everybody. And I think Oklahoma had 50 points at half, if I remember right. It did not go well. <laughs> and so I'm waiting for him to come out after halftime, and I'm thinking, what am I going to ask him? And I think the question I came up with, and, and I knew this was a one-question uh, halftime interview, the, the question I came up with was something along the lines of, Coach, it's pretty lopsided. You know, how, What did you say to your team to, to make sure that you get the effort you need from them here in this second half? And he turned to me and he said, I told them that we have to play much better football here in this second half. And then he walked off and he went about 10 yards and he turned around and he looked at me and he gave me a thumbs up like better. <laughs> and I said, thumbs up, coach. You were great. Uh, and, and I've joked around with him about that since that day. It was kind of fun. But um, now he was always really good to me. And he, he had a lot of good success at Nebraska, too. And I know he's not having the year he wants to have this year at Youngstown State, but he's had a lot of success there, too. And and I know that he's happy to be in his hometown as well in Youngstown. Yeah. I, I'm supposed to ask you about your first football broadcast with Jeff in 2005 when South Dakota was playing Minnesota <laughs> Crookston and specifically how long you drove for on the way home after a night game on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I <laughs> so we – so Jeff and I, back then, we were doing high school football, we were doing the Coyotes, we were doing everything. I mean, we we were driving all over the state of South Dakota to, to broadcast, and it was fun. I mean, we had a great time with it. But uh, we had a high school football game, if I remember correctly, or at least Jeff did, I think. I don't, I don't know that I did. I think Jeff had a high school football game the night before um, USD opened the season against Minnesota Crookston. So... We decided that he was going to do that game, then he would pick me up in Vermilion. He was living in Yankton at the time. He was going to pick me up in Vermilion, and we were going to drive all the way up to Crookston, Minnesota, which is east of, of Grand Forks, essentially. And we were going to get there in time to do our talk show. We had an afternoon talk show that went from like 2 to 6 in the afternoon. And so we left at like 5 a.m., I don't even remember. And Jeff wanted to drive on the way up, because he was doing color and I was doing sideline, and he wanted me to quiz him on his charts, essentially, to make sure that he had his charts down. So, so we did that all the way up there. We got there, we did our, our, our talk show, and then we had a, a 70 to like 10 game USD won it. And then on the way home, <laughs> I think I drove. I got us outside of Crookston. I don't even think I had us back to, to Grand Forks yet. And it started raining. I was really tired. And I said, you know what, Jeff, I'm pretty tired. You might need to drive the rest of the way. And he goes, Are you me? And I said, you're the new guy. <laughs> Go ahead and saddle up, partner. And so he drove the rest of the way home. He drove all the way up there. And he drove outside of about five miles he drove all the way home as well we got home like it was like 3 30 in the morning i know we stopped in watertown south dakota at one point but uh that's a that's a story we tell every time we get together that story gets brought up there's a lot more to it yeah but it would take us an hour to tell every single thing that happened during that road trip but the the meat of it is that he drove 99 percent of the way up and back in one day to Crookston from Vermilion from Yankton's 
South Dakota in his case. That's hilarious. You're a, a South Dakota alum, as you've said, and ran track for the Coyotes. How did your experience in Vermilion as a student athlete and also as a, a broadcaster on some of the Coyote broadcasts get you ready for this career? You know, I it, it did in a lot of ways. One is being an athlete. Um, it, it was important, I think, for me that I had that experience at, at USD. I always tell people, I wouldn't change anything about my path to get where I got to. I, I know that um, some people will, will look at, you know, Syracuse is this manufacturing plant of, of broadcasters across the country. And it's, it, it's, it, it is for a reason. It's tremendous. And guys learn so much and they come out of there with great experience. But um, for me to be at USD, to, to, do, to do what I was able to do there, which was get a ton of hands-on work with the radio station, compete in Division II athletics, because they were Division II at the time, and make the friendships uh, that I did. Uh, it, it, it all happened for a reason, and it all helped form me to be the guy that I am today. The, the competition part of it was very humbling for me, to be honest with you, at USD. Uh, I came into USD as a sprinter that had lost a handful of races in my entire high school career, thinking it was going to be that way still, and found out very soon that it was going to take everything I had just to even be an average runner on that team, just to be a role player, if you will, if there is such a thing on a college track team. And I learned that the hard way my first year. I had injuries and and uh, had to kind of battle through those, ended up redshirting, and then got healthy finally my sophomore year, was starting to make some big strides towards the end of my sophomore year, got hurt again. And the reasons I got hurt were I think in a lot of ways, because I had to train so hard, I had to strain myself so much just to be in a position to be competitive. It was, uh, it was a humbling experience. But it also, I think, continued to instill hard work ethic in, in me. And um, I, I knew that if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it right. And, and uh, I had a great coach. Dave Gottslaven was a tremendous man. And um, just a, a tremendous coach and uh, a, really a good person that I still talk to uh, on occasion. Not a lot, but we stay in touch. And I felt like I learned a lot about life from him, uh, maybe more about life than I did about track in a, in a lot of ways. So that was great. And then his willingness to let me start working at the radio station, knowing that that's what I was going to do eventually in my career and working the schedule around that so I could, I could keep running. Uh, my junior year, I ran track and I worked at the radio station, and that was hard. I was doing a talk show and running track. It was really, really hard to do, but Coach Gottsleben made sure that he found a way to make it work for me. And then my senior year, I, I knew I needed to focus on the radio stuff because I was getting bigger assignments. I was doing coyote football. I was doing coyote women's basketball, and it just probably wasn't going to work at that point to try to continue to run track, and, and I knew what was going to eventually pay the bills for me, but uh, it was fun. Vermilion is a small community, um, but it's a, it's a really fun community. They, they really support their Coyotes. They love that team. And I haven't been back there in about four years now, and so I haven't seen the new facilities, and I can't wait to get back. I, I'm, I'm going to hopefully get back at some point this offseason to see it again because uh, that, that city and that campus has changed significantly uh, since I was there. Yeah, the, f the new facilities are really nice. The The weight room and the mm -hmm. training room and the basketball um, court, is it's really impressive. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it all. I know 
how much they needed it. Uh, that was an important thing for them to get that done and get that pass through. And, and I'm really happy for everybody there. For David Herbster, who's one of the good guys in, in college athletics, and, and I think he has a, a good coaching staff there underneath of him too. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for them that everything's worked out the way that it has. How do you balance the rigors of baseball season, the, you know, the travel, the long hours at times with not only being a husband, but being a father to four young kids? This is where I'm going to give the Brewers a ton of credit. They are, I, I've been blown away, and this has been my first experience in Major League Baseball, but I've been blown away with how much they get your family involved over the course of the season. Um, they've been great since day one, whether it's family trips where you got to bring your, your family on the road in the middle of the summer on a trip, uh, whether it's getting them down to the ballpark and, and coming to the booth and saying hi for a little bit. Um, they, they really do a nice job. And so we've really taken it as when baseball season hits, it's baseball season for all of us. Yeah, daddy's working uh, a lot more and he's traveling a lot more. Um, but when dad's home, we're all going to the ballpark as much as we can. Um, and, and, and we're, we're doing this thing together and it's worked really well. My wife is a absolute rock star. She's, uh, amazing. And her ability to balance, uh, pretty much a full-time job working at our school, uh, at our parish where our kids go to school. And then at the same time, running the kids around activities. Cause we're at that age now we have 10, eight, four, and three. And the 10 and the 8-year-old have a million things going on. And the 4 and 3-year-old have a lot more than I ever did going on at 4 and 3. And she gets them to all their activities and gets them all in bed at night. And it's really amazing how she's able to do it. But it's hard. I mean, it's not always easy. And there are, there are stretches during the season where you're, you're, you're ready for that day off. And you're ready to kind of just decompress and, and hang out with your kids. But... Um, we find our ways to make it work when we're playing in Chicago. A lot of times they'll make the trip down to Chicago and spend a couple of days with dad as well. They came on the road with me to Minneapolis this year for a weekend. And so that's kind of the best way to make it work. Spring training's tough. It's six weeks where I'm gone and they come down for about 10 days in the middle of it to break it up. And that's maybe our favorite 10 days of the year as a family, because, uh, I have quite a few days off over the course of a spring training. So we have plenty of days where we get to go do some stuff, but, it's uh, it's not always easy. It, it takes a great, a great other half, and mm -hmm. I have that. And then it takes finding ways to be creative to make sure that everybody gets to be involved. And and you know that it works pretty well when after Game Seven of the NLCS, my ten-year-old was was crying. She was oh. beside herself. And just today, somebody brought up valentine's day and her mother said well i'm not looking forward to valentine's day because that means spring training starts and that means daddy's gone for six weeks and and my 10 year old said i, I mean i miss dad but i'm ready for baseball to be back already <laughs> so they enjoy it they really love it and it's a good experience <laughs> that's great your your bio says proud to be a catholic father and husband what role does faith play in your life it's a very central role i think that um for me, uh, I was I was baptized Lutheran, I was confirmed Methodist, and then I think like a lot of people in college, I I didn't really go to church a lot. I, I went to church here and there, but I wasn't overly disciplined in, in how I practiced my faith. And and then I met my wife Allie, and 
And I saw her, and she was Catholic, and she went to Mass every Sunday. She never missed, and she's a great person. She, she makes me a better person. And so before we even got engaged, I said, I want to become a Catholic. I want to I have that in my life. And so I started going through RCIA, and her dad is deacon in the Catholic Church, so he actually was my teacher, oh, wow. uh, which was kind of cool. And then sh- shortly thereafter, I, I proposed to her, and we got married. But really loved getting um, more involved in, in, in my faith, and it, it informs a lot of things of what I do on a daily basis. I'm certainly not perfect. I practice my faith for a reason, because I need the work. Um, but the goal is to be better today than you were yesterday. That's kind of my little mission statement in life. I fail at it sometimes, but I, I think that if you can achieve that more often than you don't, then you're hopefully on the right path. Lane, is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel like is important for people to know? No, I think you've been all over it, Kelly. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you this weekend. This is going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to kind of my roots in a lot of ways with Valley football. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I think uh, these are two fun, exciting teams. Western Illinois is playing great football. they got a chance to get into the playoffs, and Southern Illinois is coming off their best performance of the year as well. So I appreciate it. You were all over it. You did your homework. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to working with you and visiting more uh, in, in the car ride down uh, to Carbondale. So we'll, we'll see you soon. Can't wait. Thanks, Kelly. If you like what you heard from Lane Grindle on our MVFC First and Gold podcast, please do us a favor and share, subscribe, and leave a review. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other sports podcasts, shows like Bleacher Bums, 11th Inning Stretch, and Performance Nation. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Burke the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.